What is up, guys? Welcome to the brand new Strength Doc Podcast hosted by UpDoc Media with me, Dr. John Russell. I want to get one thing clear. This is not going to be your average fitness podcast, and I'm sure as hell not your run-of-the-mill strength coach. What's going on, guys? Dr. John Russell back here with the Strength Doc Podcast hosted by UpDoc Media. Today, I have a personal mentor on the podcast. Charles Staley is somebody that has definitely played a huge role in my development, both as a coach and as a practitioner. Man, I've been reading and listening to Charles for more than a decade now, and his methods and his simplicity to the way he does things truly resonated with me at an early age and has definitely captivated me for the better part of a decade. Let's get right to it. Our interview with Charles Staley. Great to have you on, Charles. John, thanks so much. You were one of the guys that I have been reading literally for the last 15 years or so. One of the first coaches that I was able to actually appreciate what you had to say. And early on, even like going back to high school here, um, I remember your name just coming up time and time again. (laughs) And I'm lucky because I had to learn from a coach as good as you at a point where I was very ignorant in my own training and definitely my own programming. So I have a big thanks for that. Oh, well, that's gratifying to hear. And hopefully I was right about more things than I was wrong about. But (laughs) um, yeah, I mean, you know, it it is gratifying to know that you have had an influence on on a pursuit of study that's important to you. So that's always nice to hear. Yeah, I mean, I was always a T-Nation junkie, and you being writing for them for a long, long time now, I was always you know, getting your articles every couple months, and they always stood out to me uh, just because I think you came about things in a more intelligent manner, but you also broke them down into a simplicity that people could understand and then go out and execute too. So that was a lot different than most of the material coming out in, say, like, 05, 06, 07. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that's how I think of myself as well, I think. And I do try to be entertaining. And I sometimes get accused of being overly um, entertaining, <laughs> for lack of a better word. <laughs> and, and you know, people should realize, too, in case anyone wants to take me to task, like, I don't always, like, do the titles to my own articles. Like, when you write for publications, usually, you know, they're going to put their own title on that. And so, like, you know this because you're you're a prolific writer too. I mean, uh, you know, people like to put a marketing spin on your uh, on your uh, on your material just to, to get eyeballs. Yeah, so, that's absolutely uh, true. Uh, I have been slightly polarizing over the years on some levels. By the way, I've been wrong on some things too. So I think we all have. But uh, you know, going back to those titles, sometimes you wake up and you see it go live, and you're like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know, when the materials and the contents there, that's fine, and people go through it, but you know, in this day and age, people are headline readers, and if anything, they'll spend about a minute going through and look at uh, just the headers of your article. So, you know, definitely yeah. captivating, but uh, as long as information's there, I guess that's what matters for the people that you're trying to affect. Well, you know, it's funny. I did this piece for T Nation on, on jogging, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, so the, the, the pull quote from that article, which, all right, it came from me, is, um, you know, jogging's probably the most effective form of uh, non-surgical gender assignment for men. And, and so that, that pissed off a lot of people. And, and, and so, but, but then really the next line was, well, not really. Here's what I mean. You know, so, um, you know, I, I, I do, 
if you can't get eyeballs on your material, you know, I would, I, I've, I've taken a lot of marketing courses and things. And, and, you know, so when you're writing, you know, the, the, when you're writing an article or a book or anything, you know, you have to ask, what is the purpose of the title? And the purpose of the title is to get somebody to read the first sentence. And the, the purpose of this first sentence is to get them to read the second sentence. So job one is to get people to, to read it to start with. And I'm not always entirely against. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to write something that I think is false. But you know, I don't mind being a little bit bombastic. I guess in some ways, just to to catch people's attention a little bit. Man, you beat me to that quote. That was literally the one quote I wanted to throw out there to you and see what you had to say about it. And I can't believe well, you, you know, hit so, it within five minutes. <laughs> so it sounds like the most outrageous, like trolling kind of thing to say. But you know what? And and you know, gender is is biological, but but um, you know, masculinity is is kind of a, a societal and a cultural construct. So at least in most cultures and in cer- certainly in western culture masculinity is associated with strength and power and size and and jogging reduces those things and so can can you jog just a little and not really have them reduced much sure you can and and is jogging all bad no it's not all bad but so that's where i was coming from yeah, I'm right there with you on the jogging and, you know, me being a physical therapist and also a strength coach, I look at it from an orthopedic standpoint first and foremost. Absolutely. And 95% of the people out there, their gait is not something that you want to be repeating a couple thousand times, three times a week, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It's one of those things. Yeah, and how do you know? Yeah, if you don't have training, how do you know if your gait is screwed up? I mean, who, I don't. my gait's probably screwed up. I have no, no idea in the world, and I've been doing this stuff forever. You but, know, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've seen that. You know that your gait is screwed up if you're running down the road and the people driving by you, they do a rubber neck. Are slowing down. Yeah, yeah. that could be a sign. Could be a <laughs> Most sign. likely it's um, me if you're up in Madison and I'm slowing down looking at you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, we, well, we, yeah, we rated running one of the most uh, orthopedically debilitating forms of fitness. And that was one of those um, one of those titles we were talking about that really just gained a lot of attention. And people are outraged because of that, but really the statistics show that it can be pretty brutal on the body, but also just with the sheer number of people running throughout the world, that's going to be the most prolific source of injuries definitely throughout the entire body. Well, I think, I think, you know, and I'm going to just say jogging because I, you know, I I don't know if the terminology is absolutely universal, but, you know, uh, running could, can sprint, could, could. Uh, pertain to anything from jogging to sprinting, and um, I'm a little better. I'm a little bit more uh, happy about sprinting for for a lot of people. But at least there's a payoff for for the downside. <laughs> but but um, you know, uh, where was I going with that? You know, so I, I think that jogging is kind of a manifestation of 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 the of the mindset that throws most people for a loop when it comes to fitness, which is that you know, if it hurts, it must be good for me. Right. And. You know, I've been talking about this for freaking decades, and I, you know, I just I'm going to keep talking about it until I, I don't have any more energy for it. But you know, it, and and it, the reason that those sort of misconceptions are, pers- are are persuasive is because it is based on a kernel of truth. I mean, if you are trying to improve yourself in any arena, you know, there's some discomfort. I mean, it's just part of the process. But but. Pain is not an indicator that what you're doing is good, and a lot of times it's just the reverse of that. So, 
I, I always love the quote, pain changes everything. So whether it be a performance aspect or you're in the gym, whatever you're doing, or even in your daily life, you bend down and you have pain, that changes everything. You know you have to change something up in your lifestyle or your self-rehabilitation, whatever it may be, because your body's telling you something is up. And that's kind of the best depictor that we have to see that we need to make some changes in order to actually get through and really just knock out that origin of the pain to really yeah, do well, something I mean, I better. I think it's pain, pain, is, pain is kind of biology's way of uh, reasoning with people who aren't very smart. And so it's, it's, the, <laughs> it's the lowest form of evidence that something is wrong. And if, if you don't even catch that clue, then that's really a problem. Yeah, and differentiating pain uh, for a lot of my clients is tough, especially at the beginning. So the difference between pain and discomfort is huge yeah, because yeah. if you're training at the right intensities, you know, the right kind of frequencies per week, you're going to have some discomfort here and there. Definitely. But pain is something totally different. The way that I try to define it is something that's deep, sharp, or something that radiates and goes through your body or down you know, a certain course, you know, discomfort can be sitting in the muscle bellies, but anything in the joints itself in the joints. Be, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you should stop doing what you're doing. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, it's unfortunately, or maybe, I don't know if it's fortunately, but it seems that physical therapy, uh, techniques have, have, uh, radiated past people who have a legitimate scope of influence, uh, such as yourself. And, you know, uh, so, you know, I just think that people sort of miss the point sometimes. I mean, even if you don't have any background into corrective exercise or physical therapy, you know, isn't there, isn't there a, um, a, a I think there's a, a, a very commonly understood um, statistic about low back pain that um, in 30 days, it goes away for most people regardless yep. of what yep. you do or don't, or don't do. So, so why not just go the lowest common denominator first and just stop doing what hurts, you know, and, and that's probably going to get most people to where they need to go. That's absolutely true. But, but um, it's so obvious that people don't like, you know, arrive at that. Well, we're, we're in America and it's a here and now and what can you do for me yesterday kind of culture. Mm -hmm. So people want expedited results, whether it be uh, in their aesthetics training program or whether it be them throwing out their back and wanting to do something like a marathon the next day. So, you know, jumping yeah. into things, uh, trying to expedite the process sometimes is the problem on top of the original problem because that's not what leads to the longevity of somebody's career and really just taking out yeah, the yeah. origins of the dysfunction or the pain. So I see that all the time. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, it's, a, it's a big field. Yeah. <laughs> you know, staying on that physical therapy topic, I don't know when it was. It might have been a few years ago. I remember reading an article of yours, and you talked about the functional movement screen. And mm. I really want to know, were you really a 7 out of that potential twenty-one, yeah, when you I, took it, I am, I am, and, and I want to, um, I want to, I want to let people know too. Like, I have the greatest respect for Gray Cook, um, and I, I think that his efforts on this screen are a great thing. But, but that being the case, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. You know, and, and by the way, I think it was more than a couple of years ago. I think it was six years ago. Yeah, and since then, and I'm 56 right now. Um, and maybe, look, maybe it's just a simple, maybe I'm just an outlier. But since then, I've been training hard 
And when I mean hard, I mean like deadlifting 405 for multiple sets of 10, like, you know, stuff like that. That's hard training. Um, I've been training hard four to five days a week consistently without a miss for, 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 you know, for years. And I have training partners who are bigger, younger, and stronger than I am. And so I'm like the, the runt of the litter. And I'm, comp- I'm competing. And uh, throughout much of that time, I've done Olymp- competed in Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting. And I really have almost no orthopedic issues. Um, now, maybe I shouldn't say issues. Maybe I have issues I'm not aware of. So let's just say I'm not aware of them. <laughs> in other words, I don't have pain. So now, now, yes, I do occasionally have a little bit of tendonitis in my left knee, but it's just a minor annoyance and it's never gotten any worse. And every once in a while, I've got a little splitch in my right shoulder, just, you know, just a minor annoyance. But aside from that, nothing. Um, so I don't know. So I, so I just sort of assume I'm an outlier and, and you know, uh, and I try to look at things long term as well. So, I mean, I think if you were to look at me according to the indices that you would use in your profession, you know, I'm kyphotic and I ha- I'm probably super immobile and tight and everything else. But I don't seem to have any issues. And, I, you know, I can parallel squat with a neutral spine. Um, I can deadlift over 500 pounds with a neutral lumbar spine. Um, you know, I don't have any pain, so I, I've never encountered situations in life where I can't do what I need to do, so I don't know. No, that's called winning at life right now, you know, at 56, doing the things that you're doing. Guys, if you haven't seen uh, Charles's Facebook page, he throws up a bunch of his training videos almost on a daily basis, and it's damn impressive nearly every uh, single thanks. day. Thanks. You know, it's the same deadlift every day, but I watch it every day because I want to <laughs> see you go after it. But, you know, you said it, you know, it's been about 10 years since you wrote that article about the FMS or whatever. And, you know, you followed it up with, is all you need is lifting? Is that really what you think? You know, is yeah, lifting that, got that, you that got, where you need that, to be? That sent some heat my way too. You know? <laughs> but so, so by asking the question, that doesn't mean that, that the conclusion is foregone. That's not what I mean. I mean, like, let's make it okay just to ask the question. I I did a little experiment about eight months ago. After reading your article, I sat with it for a month or two. And at the time, you know, I'm not a huge corrective exercise guy, even though that's my profession. I'm not a huge dynamic mobility and all the fancy stuff, even though it's my profession. But I was doing a handful of things that took me about 15 minutes before I got into my strength. That's reasonable, yeah. Yeah, about 15 minutes, and I'd spend about 10 minutes at the end just kind of cooling down and doing some things that I thought was helping me. And after, you know, thinking about your article, I actually took all of that stuff out and started from scratch. So I started jumping right into a training session and try to be a little bit more intelligent with my ramp up schemes, things like that. But really, I wanted to see, you know, is all I need lifting? And after about a month or two, I never felt better. And this was crazy to me. This is so, so, so interesting. Well, I just always felt like if you did the right assortment of exercises and you did them properly and you do them in the right proportion, in other words, you're bench pressing, but you're also rowing and you know, you're, you're overhead pressing to some degree that, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean you have to be overhead pressing heavy weights to failure, but at least you're going through that pattern, which is kind of helping your, your upper back mobility and, and all of that. And if you're doing some sort of a single leg derivative and you're doing some sort of a squat, some sort of a pull and, you know, you know, and unless you've got something, you know, uh, that's a little bit out of the ordinary. And, and I do actually, I had a, 
big total open synovectomy in my right knee back in 86. But, but you know, most people should, at least, I, I guess my way of thinking about it is let's just start there and see if that works. <laughs> and then if it doesn't, then we can start looking into more specifically applied corrective exercise, I guess. Hundred percent, and uh, most people, it's not uh, adding more and more on top of their programs. It's perfecting the things that are important to their program. So making sure you know the requisite movement capacity is where it needs to be. And for me, when I took off all my correctives and all my dynamic warmups, mm -hmm. I made damn sure that my execution was pristine on every single rep. I was using to. accentuated ranges of motion. I was making sure that, you know, I was implementing things like loaded stretching techniques and even intraset stretching just to make sure that I could get as much out of the actual strength training session as I possibly could. And guess what? I took 25 minutes off of most of my workouts that mm. were sometimes getting up to two hours. You know, that's crazy for anybody, even a professional athlete. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, since then, we've implemented one to two things before training, either for lower, upper pull, upper push. And then I always cool down with uh, a little bit of soft tissue work, uh, which we use our hands-on SMR, where we actually get our hands on our own soft tissues. That really expedites the process because oh, interesting. I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of wasting time rolling around on the foam roller for about 20 minutes a day. <laughs> you know, and sometimes you second-guess yourself, and I do that too. Like, you know, um, I occasionally, you know, in, in my, uh, in my darker hours, I'm thinking maybe I should be foam rolling <laughs> and, and I'm like, then I'll do it for about a week. I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And, and, and then of course I second guess myself again, think, well, maybe this is a chronic process. Maybe this is not, maybe this is like taking a vitamin. It's like just a good health practice and it's not going to be apparent, you know, it's not going to be abundantly obvious that it's helping you. Right. But, um, but again, I mean, I just think, um, I, I could be way off the mark, but, I just feel like I'm functioning well, and other than just having some soreness and stiffness, um, which I think is you're going to have some stiffness when you train like I do when you're 56. I just think you're going to, but you know I just don't really have any issues that I'm aware of. So uh, I, I tend to think that for me, I'm doing things probably mostly right, uh, hopefully. So yeah, and stiffness at 26, doing the things that you're doing would probably be normal. From my professional standpoint, no, no one ever talks about stiffness. Like it's it's very interesting because it's kind of a close cousin to soreness, but it's not soreness. Right. Um, it's it's a unique entity, and I don't understand it. But I didn't start really noticing that until I got into my fifties. But um, yeah, I don't know. It, that's another entire story. We could go down that neurological pathway. <laughs> I'll have to do it sometime. Yeah. Now you mentioned your training partners, the the younger, faster, stronger guys. I know that you've uh, trained in the past with Brett Contreras. Tell me a yeah. little bit about that. Brett is freaking awesome. In fact, we're going to be training more now. I was just talking to him the other day. Just submitted his PhD thesis, um, so he's got some. He was just really under the gun to get that thing done. There was a time limit; he had to have it done by the end of July. So we'll be training more. But very interesting guy to train with, and very very passionate. And uh, it, it's amazing how much flack he takes proportionate to you know the amount of people that call him weak and like he's a six, he's a 600 pound deadlifter and he like can deadlift four or five for freaking 20 and you know he's six foot six so like he doesn't have the best levers well, that's all right for deadlifting but you know uh so whatever he benches in the low threes he's six foot six you know and so you know it's just it's just funny and i always tell him like brett 
you need the hate is a sign you're doing the right thing because you know you, you from a marketing point of view it's all right to be polarizing not you don't want to be polarizing just for the sake of it but when people have opinions about you that's a good thing uh, but Brett is great and he has some he and I have interesting idiosyncrasies that that we sort of bag on each other about and he's like pretty funny in some ways uh, you know, like, do you know how most lifters, if you're lifting something really heavy, like you get sort of claustrophobic and, and sort of anal retentive. You want everything perfect and collars on the bar. And you want the bar exactly 90 degrees to your platform. You know, like, for example, you wouldn't, if, if a bar was sitting on the platform and it was like 35 degrees to the front of the room, like at a cocked angle, like <laughs> you'd straighten it, right? Right. Yeah, he doesn't bother. He's just like, whatever, and just walks up, like, you know, <laughs> it's just nothing bothers him. If, if, if the bar happens, if I'm in there before him, him and I've got 275 on the bar, that's where he starts. Like, it's <laughs> kind of funny. But he makes it work. Yeah, I'd say. I, I saw yeah. that video of him just going nuts and then he kind of calling out all his critics on it. And I, I like that one because Br you know, Brett practice has enormous, what you preach on it. Yeah, he has enormous passion for what he does. Enormous. It's, it's almost like, you know, it reminds me of like, do you know anything about Bruce Lee? A little bit. Well, I mean, you know, people who knew him would tell you that, like, he just never sat still. Like, he just, like, if he's on the toilet, he's, like, reading something with one hand and doing dumbbell curls with the other. Like, <laughs> that's kind of what that, Brett strikes me like that. Like, he just never freaking stops. And he's just, you know, prolific in terms of what he gets done. And he's got, he's got an amazing work ethic. Yeah, I mean, that's evident, the, the quality content that he throws out multiple times a week for years on end. Uh, you know, I'd almost compare him to you. You've written over a thousand articles, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's, it's absolutely over a thousand. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue anymore. I thought I was doing good in, in 2014, 2015 together. I had over a hundred. Now, what would you say the one thing that you were able to teach Brett that really changed his outlook on either the fitness industry or his execution of his programming? Gosh, I don't know if I'm the best person to answer that. Um, I know. <laughs> I, I hope I don't. I don't hope I don't get stumped by this. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think he and I have a good sort of give and take, and I think we we sort of ping ideas off of each other. But yeah, I mean, I think that I, I, hopefully, hopefully, I've convinced him that that the whole idea of being polarizing is not a terrible thing. And uh, you know, you know, I don't think I don't think Brett is a is a natural marketer. I don't think he thinks in terms of marketing. Um, and so I think I've helped him on some levels behind the scenes in terms of, uh, you know, uh, just, just simple, easy things that you can do, um, uh, you know, to, to, to sort of, to sort of make your content more, more kind of marketing friendly. Yeah. Um, and that's a whole nother ball of wax. And I don't consider myself an expert on that subject at all, but I, 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 I know and, and hang around a lot of people who are good at it and, um, so I consider myself conversant in that in that subject, but by no means do I have mastery over it. But it's fascinating stuff. That's one thing that uh, definitely starting up that I struggle with and continue to struggle with is that marketing aspect of thing, or even the business side. Um, you know, me personally, I spent eight years in school studying the body. Yeah. You know, movement <clears throat> science, as many coaches do. That's their passion. Uh, obviously, you need to know your X's and O's and your coaching science 
before you want to go out and teach somebody else about it. You want to have that mastery level of whatever you're teaching. But, uh, you know, jumping in and trying to be successful with either content or going out and putting yourself out there publicly, it's a whole different ballgame with the amount of marketing that it takes, uh, doing the right things, like even down to social media or how to get your ideas out there. It's yeah, uh, yeah. it's mind-boggling at, at times. Yeah, no, it's it's huge, and uh, yeah, what you, you just pinned it exactly. You know, you have to you have to be a good technician, and you have to know how to run a business or find somebody who does. And you need to be able to market. You need to be able to get your stuff out there. And I think social media is is huge. Um, in fact, it, you know, I, I was listening to Guy Kawasaki um, a couple of weeks ago, and and he was saying that like you know if 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 you don't if you don't think social media is important then what you're saying is you don't believe in marketing. You know, that's just how important yeah. it is. And it's hard to hide these days too, uh, good or bad. So if you are putting out quality ideas, people are going to find you. And on the same <clears throat> point, if you're putting out crap, people are also going to find that. So that's true. It's the big equalizer. The world is much more transparent these days. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now I wanted to ask you about something that you brought up, uh, a couple of years ago, I think you were posed a question, uh, what would you do differently if you had to go back in time? And mm -hmm. it might have changed since uh, I listened to this, but your answer was prioritizing hypertrophy and muscle yeah. mass. Yeah, yeah. Are you still well, there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's too late for me now, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's no question. I mean, you know, I mean, I think statistically, and it's not so much my age, but just that I have such a, a long training history that, you know, I mean, a big, people always talk about volume is the big driver for hypertrophy, and, and it definitely is. But another, another component that you have to have in your training is novelty. Right. Um, and so, and, and, and if, you, if you are still sort of uh, suspicious about that, I mean, just think to yourself, anybody listening to this, if you had to make yourself really sore tomorrow, what would you do? And the answers will vary, but the common theme will be that you will do something that you are unfamiliar with, either that you've never done or that you haven't done in a long time. And that could pertain to the exercise itself or the loading. So maybe, you know, maybe you'll do a hundred, you know, sets of a hundred on squats or just something you've like never done that for sure is going to just tear you up, you know? So novelty is huge. And when you have a long training background, there's not much that's novel. I mean, there's, there's not really too much out there that I haven't done. Um, so, so I, so I think that the key is, is to really focus on hypertrophy while you're still younger. Um, you know, because you have to build up that engine while you are still young in your training history and you still have the anabolic hormones and, and you still, you know, you don't have that many miles on the chassis. So you have the orthopedic integrity to do that. Now for me, I mean, I have the orthopedic integrity to train hard but my engine's probably as big as it will ever be. I still do hypertrophy phases, but they are for a different objective. So for me, um, they are to prevent the, the loss of muscle mass. Right. Um, which, by the way, is still important. It, it sounds like, oh, my God, that's just like such a – but like, no, it's, it's fine. I mean, if, if I can have the same amount of muscle I have now when I'm 76, I'll be thrilled. So it's, it's not such a bad thing. Um, but – the, the, reason, the reason I'm a lot stronger than I look is because, you know, the only thing I have, the only two ways for me to get stronger are to program better. And, and, and by that, I mean um, programming in such a way where you can capitalize on brief periods of time where you are super fit but also super recovered. 
so that you have those timing windows where you can uncork a nice big lift. And then just through nervous system um, strength, you know, through skill. Um, and, and But my skill level is fairly high, too. And, and I don't mean that it's perfect, but I've been doing this stuff so long, it's probably pretty much as good as it's ever going to get. I mean, right. you know, I mean, I, I think I make occasional very minor improvements to what I do over time. But, but so you kind of, in a certain way, you have three ways to get stronger. You can make your muscles bigger. You can teach them how to fire better. And you can exploit programming variables. That's it. So once you develop all the muscle that you can develop, then you're down to two variables, you know? Right. And if you've been training a long time, then you're kind of down to one variable. <laughs> it's very, it's very, it's very depressing prospect, you know, but, um, but it's fun to be strong when you're in your fifties. And, uh, and I'm actually, uh, actually yesterday I, um, I actually deadlifted 425 for six, which was a lifetime personal record. So wow. I'm still encroaching on new territory little by little. Man, you're one step ahead of me all over the place because I was going to ask you about that. I know you've hit a couple PRs this past year, and that is impressive as hell to me. Yeah, I'm happy about it too, and you know, just as happy as could be. And um, and that's after a hypertrophy cycle, so it's, it's very interesting. Uh, I've been really uh, heavily influenced by the work of Dr. Mike Israetel uh, of Renaissance Nutrition recently, and I've actually consulted with him. And... Um, you know, he convinced me to do an eight-week hypertrophy phase where, like, literally everything is sets of ten. You know. Yep. And in the in the past, when I've done hypertrophy phases, I would do maybe I would do you know. Well, well, let me let me just backtrack a little bit. Like, I I would I I used to do sort of conjoined types of periodization where you would do a core lift for five sets of three, and then you do assistance lifts for sets of eight to ten. And it's not, that's not a bad way to train, but it's probably not absolutely optimal. So I took eight weeks where I pretty much did like sets of 10 the whole time. And then um, I came back to doing – I then went into a phase which just started this week where I dropped down to sets of five. And, uh, you know, it was very interesting. I was squatting, and I'm not a great squatter. I've squatted – this year I've squatted 400 to parallel, which is it's pretty good. I weigh 198, so it's, it's not bad. But um, – you know, I almost hit a PR for a set of five on the squat, like right out of the gate, and it distinctively felt better. Like I felt like the, the sticking point was still there, but it was not as distinct, and I felt like I had better, like kind of first gear strength. You know, it was yeah. kind of interesting. So I'm sort of a believer at this point that those phases are, are, are really valuable to do. No, you you nailed it, and, and definitely uh, changing that up every once in a while and doing something where your response is going to be a tiny bit different, even at the physiological level. Uh, people sometimes just want to stay in where they're comfortable. And that, that takes a lot for somebody with your background and your experience to go out, consult with another, you know, great mind in the industry and actually change up what you're doing because you want to be better than you already are which you already were setting PRs this, this year, which is yeah, impressive. Well, thanks. well it's, it's kind of a weird, um, you know, if I'm glad I'm in this industry because if you're, if you're a typical 56 year old guy and you're pursuing strength training with the passion that I have for it, it's, it's generally thought of as pretty narcissistic or, <laughs> or sort of unbalanced in some way. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe it is, but, um, it, it's fun to make progress, and and in terms of consulting other guys, I mean, it's fun. There's so many people out there now, yourself included, really bright young guys that are more on top of the science than I am, and and uh, 
you know, I have a public persona as an expert, and d depending on how you define that term, I guess I am an expert, but um, experts, being an expert doesn't mean you know everything, and it doesn't mean you're infallible. It just means you have a strong uh, skill set in a, in a certain area, but and I do have that, but, you know, I've got lots of gaping holes in there, too, so... Um, you 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 don't um, you don't get better by overly identifying with your strengths, right? Big time. Now on the same uh, point on volume that you mentioned up before, uh, your escalating density was something that years and years ago really resonated with me. How did you come up with that originally? It was just by accident. Um, I was I was um, I was living in Las Vegas at the time. I think it was two thousand and two. Um, Maybe maybe a little earlier, right around 2000. I was training with a partner. We were just like, we were just feeling kind of uh, under inspired, and we we're just like, why don't we do this, and then we'll do this, and <laughs> we'll do this. So the idea is let's uh, let's just let's do. I think we were doing uh, I think we were doing chin ups and dips. I think that was the very first EDT workout, and um, we're like, let's just set the clock and do as many reps as we can in 15 minutes. So we're like, okay, ready, set, go. So he went, I went, he went, I went, and, and we were like set a chin, set a dip. So we're doing sets of five. And then it just became apparent that um, at a certain point, like six, seven minutes in, like I'm, now I'm doing sets of four and sets of three and so forth and so on. And then, and then we started doing that more often, and it was just kind of a competition. Like, okay, last week I got 49 reps. and, and this. So it just kind of arose that way, and uh, I'll never forget that I was just racked and debilitated with soreness from that first <laughs> workout. It was just and by the way, like, again, a big part of that was that it was just novel. It's just yeah. a different way of training. But um, I've always been very interested in personal productivity and time management. And um, and I, one thing I do fairly well, I think, is that I think I am pretty good at, uh, at, at noticing the parallels between different fields of study and, and kind of borrowing back and forth, right? So I think in a certain way, escalating density training is kind of a physical personification of time management strategies, you know, applied to training. Um, because if you think about it, in, in fitness, you know, your result is basically um, the result of, of how much work you do, right? Right. Now, yes, there there's, has to be a certain intensity and a certain quality, but it's basically driven by your workload. Well, if you're an entrepreneur, that's also driven by work. So if I make a, a significant portion of my income through writing. So if, if I can produce more writing, that you know that's doing work, and you don't get paid, you know you get paid paid on what you produce, right? Not, right. You don't get paid based on how it feels to produce it. You get paid on what based on how you what you produce. So that's true when you're an entrepreneur, and it's true in terms of fitness. You know, it's it's the the workload. So if the goal is to do more and more work, then the next goal should be how do we find ways to accomplish that work faster, easier, with less risk, et cetera. So that was kind of the genesis of that. And, um, you know, it doesn't work perfectly for all people, for all contexts, but nothing does. But it's it's amazing how popular that, I mean, no one could have been more surprised than me as to how much <laughs> popularity that thing started generating. Yeah, it was hugely popular. I, I, I still use it for many clients that I have. Uh, definitely those types of personalities that really do well with a mental edge of trying to get numbers time and time again. And when yeah, they really yeah. see that decline, uh, they turn on you know the next gear and they're challenged in a different sort of way. 
you know, obviously you can be challenged in a million and one different ways, but having a clock ticking down on it, you it and trying to bang you, right? out reps, oh yeah, my God. Yeah, it drives you. Well, it can, so there's two ways to get work done. One is that you can sort of inspire yourself and push yourself, but the opposite of that is, is to have a workout that compels you to work. And the, the literal definition of the word compel is that it pulls you. So, so rather than you push yourself, the workout pulls you into it. And it's almost like if you've ever, like you ever push a car, like for like sort of, you know, strongman kind of stuff, like, you know, you get, you have somebody get behind the wheel and you just push for one minute. Well, that particular type of, I, I love that because it makes you work hard because once you get the, 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 once you get the vehicle up to speed, you have that momentum established, you're going to work hard because you don't want to lose it. Right. So if it's, as long as you show up, you're going to have a good workout. And the same thing goes for, for EDT. Um, trying to, to break your numbers compels you to work harder. And uh, I had a client once say, um, you know, I, there's probably nobody who set the clock, ready, set, go, who, who didn't finish. You know, the, the, the hardest part of EDT is the, the humming, hemming and hawing and procrastinating you do before you, you pull the trigger. Because <laughs> once that clock is going, it's like, oh, shit, and, you know, stuff's getting real now. So, uh, yeah, and it's, it's just a, it's kind of an artificial construct, but it makes you work. And I'm not – the biggest misconception about me is that I have this huge work ethic. I, I really don't at all. Um, I just manage to put myself in situations and construct my environment in a way that kind of I end up working hard. So, I mean, I mentioned my, my training partners. Um, you know, they're at the gym waiting for me, and there's three of them. And so it's not like, oh, oh my training partner didn't show up. Like, I guess I can slack off. No, there's three of them. Somebody's going to show up. Probably, <laughs> they're probably mostly going to show up. And uh, the other day, not the other day, the other the other week, my training partner Chris were, were doing dumbbell bench presses. Now, I mean, I will normally start with like 40s or 50s, and and I'm pretty strong, but um, you know, for warm up sets. And so he's got 85s out for his first warm up set, <laughs> and the 85s are lying on the floor, and I'm having this little internal debate: like, do I go get a pair of 50s and just grab the 85s, and you know? So you work harder and faster and. And, you know, so basically Chris goes, Ryan goes, then everybody's sitting there staring at me. And it's like, well, I, I guess I got to stop texting my friends and, and like do my set. And so <laughs> if, you, if you do the sets faster and we can all we can all rest less between sets than what we think, I, I think. But if you if you rest between sets less then you do more total sets. Right. Um, so that's been a great thing. So my training partners are just an example how I managed to just sort of construct my environment in a way where I just kind of have to, to do the work. Training partners are huge too. Uh, I'm lucky that I get to train with my wife every day and she is a beast for her size. So she actually gets the push out of me. And, you know, it's not uh, something that, yeah, we're going to challenge each other on weights. You know, she wouldn't be using the 85s like you just mentioned. But it's to the point where, you know, she gets up around, you know, something, you know, a percentage of her body weight and I, I yeah. want to definitely yeah. match it and then some. But well, if you know, for the guys out there, if you're if you're training if you're training with a woman who who like knows what she's doing, um, you know, if you scale her weights to your maxes, you will not be able to do what she's doing. Oh no. Um, so and and I've seen this with my own clients. Uh, you know, so uh, women can can put down the workloads for sure. You know, there's no question. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And even from a programming standpoint. There's not many things that you really have to alter just based on male or female. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Um, 
I mean, now I I uh, train bikini and physique competitors, um, and and there is more of an emphasis on lower body sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So the emphasis might change a little bit, um, but it's kind of the same drills. And yeah. you know, and men can learn from women and vice versa. I mean, women and men have different approaches to hitting the weights in particular, and and you know, they can each learn from from each other. I think a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And um, definitely along the lines of changing up, especially for those aesthetics athletes that are women, what I've seen uh, is that most women don't need that secondary heavy chest day, especially if you're in a bodybuilding slash hypertrophy program. You know, they need a little bit, but more of uh, building that posterior shoulder girdle. And then uh, especially with their pressing movements, uh, there's no need for any decline movements. Uh, no I, I decline, always stay away no. from that. Yeah, No, don't do it. And I agree with you. And I think there's, it's important to have, you know, for, for posing purposes in those competitions, it's important to have good upper body posture. Um, so, yeah, I agree. And then the, the one last thing, you know, Paul Carter will be sad to hear this, but the trap training definitely isn't uh, going to be emphasized in any women's physique either. <laughs> uh, no, I agree. Um, <laughs> no. And just, no. And that's kind of a male attribute, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why <laughs> that's a good way to tell if somebody's on the sauce, you know, when you have like super pronounced tra- like because most of your androgen receptors as a male are, are in the, the deltoids and traps. I did not so, know that. Yeah, so that's that's why that's such a male characteristic. You, you know, talking a little bit more about training, uh, what is one thing that is a relatively new idea in the industry that just has you captivated? Uh, well, it's not new. I don't. Hopefully, this isn't skirting your question, but um, I am more and more confident about the idea of like sort of old school linear periodization these days. Yeah. Which I've written articles criticizing, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, well, what can I tell you? You know, but you know, I, I just, and part of this is through the influence of Dr. Mike Israel, but, but, um, I, I do think now, by the way, I don't think for most people that periodization is the biggest, it's not the biggest rock in your jar to use that analogy. It's, it's kind of one of the small rocks, but, um, you know, chronically. Now, I mean, I think in a weekly, the way that you put your weekly cycle together is quite important, but the idea of whether or not you're training strength and hypertrophy concurrently or, or, or uh, sequentially is not the hugest deal. But I look at it for myself, like, well, I don't have like a lot of tools at my disposal and, and, um, you know, programming is the main untapped place for me. And so I, I think, you know, if you really want to be a stickler for detail, I do think that sequential, uh, using sequential training blocks is, um, is the best way to go. Uh, and if you're interested, I mean, I can go into detail about that, but, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's something that I'm very interested in these days. And definitely it's almost full circle. We see it a lot in our industry is yeah. the old becomes new again. Yeah. And it's repurposing old information to make something uh, bigger and better than we've seen it in the past. And, uh, you know, T Nation is one of, you know, the best publishers of fitness information out there in the world. And you, I've seen a, a trend in the past two years of uh, a move back to simplicity, a move back to the basics and really having an emphasis on those basics to really build up again. So it's, um, it's just not that exciting, but well, but, but so, 
one of my little, I, I sort of pick on like Beachbody and P90X a little bit. <laughs> and, um, and so when I watch a lot of people who are coaches with that organization and, you know, it, it's like you're watching a reality show. Like when you see those social media posts, like, you know, we really, we really brought it today and, you know, we could hardly stand up, but like, you know, I have a broken toe from doing a box jump last week, but, you know, we're still doing it. And, you know, I had, you know, 16 grams of fiber in my shake and like, you know, it's just, so, and it led me to kind of come up like, wow, like you can almost, you can almost identify a beginner by how both temporary and dramatic their, their efforts are. You know, there's just high drama, but it's temporary, you know, whereas if I look at my training and I'm not, look, I'm not like, you know, the greatest athlete who ever lived, but I think I'm competent. Um, if you look at my training, we're just, it's just to use a Dan John quote, it's just like punching the clock, like, uh, here we are again, let's do it. Like this just, it's not very dramatic at all. Um, there's no drama, nobody, we don't miss lifts. We work hard, but nobody's yelling and screaming and we're not breaking toes and we're not, you know, there's no dramatic highs and lows, but, and we've just been doing it for years and you just make slow, steady progress. And, you know, Monday, here we go again. Like, it's just, it's not, it's just not all that dramatic. Right. And, uh, we see that a lot of trends, uh, in current day fitness is everything needs to be like this huge sympathetic response of people going crazy. And that's just not sustainable for the long run. Right. And, and if it's not sustainable, I mean, and that's, that's also one of my big focuses, you know, is to, is to not be myopic about, you know, how hard you work, how hard you're working on Monday. Like who cares? <laughs> who cares what you do? Like who cares? Like, you know, and, and I've written about this, so I hope to not be redundant on some of these points, but hopefully there's people who haven't heard me say this, but the easiest way to understand that or to appreciate that idea is to just put it in the, the realm of nutrition. I mean, if I were to say, hey, John, yesterday I freaking ate perfect. I mean, my macros were dialed on. Everything was organic and non-GMO, and, like, it was just my meal time was perfect. Yeah, yesterday was perfect. And you, you might not say it, but you think, okay, but so what? Like, like how do you usually eat? Yeah. <laughs> like, eating perfectly one day, like, it just doesn't make any difference at all. Uh, nor you could eat atrociously for one day, and that doesn't have any difference either. So I think it's important to step back and, and to take the 30,000-foot view and, like, you know, it's what you usually do that, that matters. Um, you know, not, not how hard you work on one day. And yes, you should work hard. It's, it's critical to work hard, but you know, it can't, you can't be a one-time thing. It's, it's just gotta be very, the consistency is just job one. Yeah. It's not a day to day. It's not even a week to week or a month to month. It's truly a year to year. And, you know, somebody with your training experience definitely has shown that, you know, doing it for three, four decades, um, that's what makes differences. That's what produces PRs in your fifties. And I think people are so, uh, hopped up to get in and try to crush themselves once a week or something. And then they just wreck the rest of their week that they can't get the kind yeah. of frequency. And, in. and you know, you need decades because like, you know, it, when I look back, I mean, when I look back at how I trained when I was like 30 years old, I didn't know I would train. Right. You know, now other people might have thought I knew how to train or whatever, and I'm not even comparing myself to others, but I would probably be embarrassed to be reminded of like what my workouts look like then. Like, so it just took me a long time. And so if you don't give yourself the time, you just might not ever get there. 
It's true. Uh, and I think every, th- every coach has gone through that phase of like, oh my God, I can't believe I used to do that. And the one thing that was always consistent is that the inspiration was there to do something, you know, to just jump in and start doing something so you could be yeah. uh, practicing what you are re- going to preach, you know, first and foremost, but also just trying to learn about your body because, you know, you're not going to learn just reading articles or research. You actually need to get in, get sweaty and lift some weights. And that's the best way to get started. Now, I have a lot of uh, students that contact me and they ask like, well, how do I get started, you know, doing sports performance, all this stuff? Well, are you currently training yourself? Well, no, I'm in, uh, you know, my doctorate. I can't do it. I don't have this time. Well, that's going to be your best friend, in my opinion. It's really mastering so. yourself before you can go in and try to master a client's program or yeah. their physique or their performance. Yeah, and to be a great coach, you don't have to be great. You know, you don't have to be ridiculously strong, or you know, but you have to be in the trenches doing it. Yeah. Otherwise, you you can't relate. Um, yeah, so that's. I mean, <laughs> if you were from any other profession listening to this, they would be like, "Well, of course, like obviously." But, um, it's not that obvious to everybody. Now, fifty-six years old, you have some goals in mind for the next couple of years. What keeps you going at this point? Well, I, I guess fear of the alternative of not doing it. <laughs> I, I guess I don't know. I just. Um, you know, luckily, PRs are slow to come for me these days, but um, luckily, and I don't know if you have changes in your brain as you get older, but luckily, I still find it fairly engaging to see if I can prevent uh, the decline of my capacities. Um, and so I do try to look down the road, and I do try to think, okay, where can I be when I'm 60 and 65? And, 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 I'll, and can I be like, I'm already thinking, okay, for me to be as strong as I am now when I'm 65, then I need to make some headways in case I start slipping eventually, <laughs> you know. So I, I'm okay with all that. Um, and, uh, you know, and I also, I, I constantly, as I mentioned earlier, I'm constantly second-guessing my approach to my training. And, and you can't second-guess to the point where your training is chaotic and you're always doing something different every week. So there's right. a sweet spot you know so on the one end of the continuum are people who've just been doing the same thing for 40 years and you know they just never entertain anything new and 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 so you're really missing a lot of opportunities and i don't think i'm in that camp um in fact i know i'm not the other end of the spectrum that you don't want to be on is that you are constantly you know you have no faith in what you're doing at all and you're constantly driven down a new pathway every time you you read a new article and you know, next week I read an article about the value of kettlebells, so then I do kettlebells. <laughs> then the next week you see something about body weight, so then you do body weight. And so you can't be on that, and you've got to be somewhere in, in the middle. You have to have a certain stable structure to your to your approach, but there has to be enough flexibility in, in your program to, to, to integrate new ideas. And so for me, um, one of the things that, that has been in my mind lately that I've not really jumped on yet, but... Um, I, 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 I'm less and less enamored with being a one-trick pony as I get older. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is I'm, I'm, I'm pretty strong, but my mobility is not great. My, my, you know, I, at least I've not tested it in a while, so I have no idea. It's bad, trust me. <laughs> if it's, you need an FMS, I, I'll do it for you. <laughs> uh, trouble. I'm probably like a score of four on it by now. <laughs> but, but, you know, but 
you know, I have long hamstrings. That gets me, uh, that gets me through most of what I have to do. But um, so, but, and just more sort of cardiovascular conditioning. I mean, like, I, I always joke, I'm like, I wonder how bad it would be if I tried to run a mile. Like, would that take me half an hour? Or like, you know, <laughs> I just don't have any clue. Would I even survive it? Or like, you know, so I, I do have this sort of theory that I don't know if it's accurate to call it a theory because I haven't really sort of uh, acted on it yet. But you probably, as you get older, should not let any fitness capacity get too, too, too degenerated, right? So it, although my goals are powerlifting, that doesn't involve cardiovascular capacity, but you, should, you shouldn't let your aerobic conditioning get abysmally bad because when you're in your 50s or 60s, like once something gets bad, it's probably you might not ever get it back. Right. Or same for mobility. Like it's not hard to be strong when you're in your fifties. It's not hard at all. Um, that's why there's a lot of guys who are strong in their fifties. But, but to have good mobility, that's a different thing. So I sort of wrestle with that stuff, and um, I, I I sometimes act slowly on these things. But, um, you know, I, I try to be in the middle of that that continuum, I guess. So uh, it's always in the back of my mind. Huh? Maybe I should be. You know, I don't know. Uh, d- doing some kettlebell work for conditioning or whatever. So, but I haven't done it yet. So, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> well, mobility is like, how can I develop some mobility like in the easiest thing way possible, and like just spend the smallest amount of time? And like, should do I even need to be doing it at all? And you know, so <laughs> it's you know, it's just one of those things. Yeah, I hear you, and you definitely have that foundation where you know making uh, even a small change needs to be very strategic you know, with the success and the experience that you have. So that's absolutely understandable. Uh, got one last question for you here. What do you have coming down the pipeline, either articles, new ideas coming out? Uh, what are you currently thinking about that you want to throw out there to the masses? Yeah, well, so I'm working with um, a couple of colleagues of mine, uh, and I can't let too much out about this until it's a little bit uh, closer to being completed. But okay. um, I really feel there's a need for to have a community uh, where uh, people who have a, you know, older people who have a passion about training and, and physical competence um, can go and sort of uh, keep each other accountable and, you know, to have sort of a, a, a unified um, stop, you know, stomping grounds and like an online community uh, so that, you know, because one of the things that happens is, is there, there's two things. One is that you know, whenever you see research about hypertrophy or protein intake or whatever, like they never address older people, <laughs> you know, so like, so for example, for protein intake, like when you're older, you don't digest protein as well. You, mm-hmm. you need higher intake. So, so I am working on establishing sort of an online home for older athletes who are serious about what they're doing and they don't want to make excuses about why they're training and have to apologize for being serious about training. Right. And where we can sort of have a dissemination of high-level information uh, for those people. So I just want to have a home base for serious older athletes and fitness enthusiasts. And so we've got some kind of cool ideas. And um, uh, you know, and if you know, right now my current blog is at TargetFocusFitness.com. And so if people sign up for that blog. Uh, they'll be sort of in the loop when when this uh, kind of gets a little further uh, toward completion. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, even more so. Uh, you do. Are you still doing the Breaking Muscle Mature Athlete Journal? 
Yeah, I still, I still have a journal at Breaking Muscle. Um, so that's every week. That, that's published every Wednesday. And uh, you can see some of my training videos there. And you can actually see, you know, point by point, every single rep I do, like, you know, so, and, and, and I always caution people like that's, that doesn't mean you should do that. <laughs> so when people ask, Oh, Charles, you know, like you're so strong. What do you do? Like, well, what I do is not necessarily perfect. It, it did lead to the result that I got, but it doesn't mean I'm doing everything perfectly. It might be that uh, a different approach might yield a better result. I don't know. How, you know, nobody <laughs> knows, but, but yeah, but you can see exactly what my training looks like. And it's sort of attached with a Q and a column. So I sort of answer questions for people. So that's, that's a good place to go too. Yeah, perfect, guys. Hop on that because uh, if you can pick the mind of Charles here, he's the man to talk to, especially if you're one of those mature athletes that does want to get shit done and not just go through the motions. Uh, anything else, uh, any other uh, avenues that people can find you at? Um, well, I do a lot of writing at Teen Nation. I do some writing for bodybuilding.com. I've got, I've got a piece coming out in Muscle and Fitness uh, in a month or two. Um, I also do some writing for a magazine called Train, which um, comes out. Like if you buy something from bodybuilding.com, they'll give you a copy of that magazine. So I do that. And my Facebook uh, page is is sometimes fairly entertaining, I think, so <laughs> um, on a number of grounds. Uh, so, you know, uh, if, if, if you catch me on the right day and I have 4,999 friends, then you can get on. And, uh, yeah, so, so that's probably the best place. Perfect. Uh, I appreciate you coming on, as do my listeners, and it's been an awesome hour here. John, it's been fun. Let's, uh, let's do it again, and it's always fun talking shop. Oh, it would be a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jen. Big thanks to Charles Staley for joining us on the Strength Doc Podcast. The thing that impresses me most about Charles is his outlook and his experience in the fitness and wellness industry. Somebody that's been in it for more than three decades definitely earns some credit when it comes to what they have to say about the trajectory of our industry, but also the current status. Big thanks for Charles. And until next time, this is Dr. John Russin with the Strength Doc Podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media. Thank you.